Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Alright, two things I learned today. You can't catch a fish going 65 miles an hour and our guest is getting too old to buy green bananas. <laughs> he was a he was a treasure trove of of a lot of good information, but several fun and, and, and hilarious one-liners, man. I just, this is a guy I just, I could probably listen to talk for hours. Just a really Amen. amazing personality. Yeah, that's that's a lot of years on the seminar circuit and doing television and radio. So, and, and the listeners are, are going to be the beneficiaries of uh, Joey Monteleone's life experiences today. I'm glad you said his name because I was about to say our guest was Joey Monteleone. means mountain lion in, in Latin or Italian, I guess. And that's a, that's a cool start. Just if you're born with that name, you might as well just get outdoors and stay there, which he, he figured out a way to do. So really awesome guy, very passionate, very emotional, obviously carries his heart on his sleeve. Our yeah. kind of guy, loves the outdoors, does it for himself, does it for other people just lives for this and i think folks are really going to love this and hopefully that leads you to his books the three books he's talked about and uh you'll find this guy and, and read him and you're really going to enjoy this one yes sir since 1936 the national wildlife federation has worked with hunters and anglers to pass the most important conservation laws of american history and to protect our sporting traditions this podcast explores our history our values, and the work we do to safeguard the fish and wildlife that fuel our passions. We are NWF Outdoors. Heidi ho listeners. Aaron and Bill, back at you. Aaron Kindle, your host here with the NWF Outdoor Podcast, and my buddy Bill. What's happening today, Bill? Hey, man, just enjoying our first cold front of, I, I guess you can call August fall. We've we got a little bit of a respite here, so I'm enjoying that. That's always beautiful when it's been hot and you get that cool, cool, you know, nice weather. It's been uh, it's been real cool mornings and, and felt kind of fallish around here, too, which is, is I like that better than hot. So I'll take it. Um <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to let you introduce our guest. He's someone you know and we appreciate him coming on, but we'll we'll let you kick off uh the introduction to our friend today. Well, that that sounds good cuz this guy, you know, I started seeing him when I was just trying to get in the outdoor world and going to outdoor shows around Memphis and West Tennessee and he would be there, you know, with with all the fishing stuff on, doing seminars and uh explaining things to folks and all. So he was one of those guys, you know, you you look up to as as 
when you're trying to get started and, and later i got to know him and i could go on and on with fished all over guided all over all over north america and but here's the thing that i think listeners need to know and if this doesn't catch your attention and make you want to listen then you're probably on the wrong show this guy has caught over 50,000 bass in the last 40 years, and his name's not Van Dam or Dance. <laughs> it's Joey Monteleone, my buddy from Tennessee. Joey, thanks for being on the show today. Oh, thank you. I really, and honestly, thank you for having me. It's always an honor and a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I've been doing it since Moby Dick was a minnow, I guess. And, you know, and it's funny when you talk about this stuff, I always say same faces, different places, because the folks that really love the outdoors and stay in this for the long haul, we run into each other. It may not be on the water in the field, but sometimes it's, you know, behind a camera or sometimes it's at a conference or something like that. So truly honored and blessed to, to get to do the things that I absolutely love to do. Amen. Amen. I'm always excited, too, Bill. You, there, there's a, quite the all-star cast in Tennessee, man. You keep coming up with Tennesseans that are just really so well-versed in the outdoor, you know, arts, if you will, that uh, I'm pretty impressed. But, you know, Joey is a transplant, but we now claim him as one of our own as, as homegrown. Uh, sometimes you'll hear a word or two in his accent, but uh, we call him a Tennessean, too, so... He's one of us for sure. Well, and he told us what his last name means, which he might have to tell our audience because I don't think it gets any cooler than that. Yeah, from a, if you can break it down, at least from a Latin standpoint or an Italian standpoint, M-O-N-T-E means mountain. Most people would know that. And L-E-O-N-E means lion, so mountain lion. And there's actually a village uh, in, in the old country, as they like to say, that's Monteleone. So, yeah, no, it's a... It's a it's a good calling card. It's kind of difficult when you get a business card together and you're Joey Monteleone from Deckard, Tennessee. You need a yardstick to make your business card. <laughs> it's like the first time you write a check when you're buying a house. Like, how do you put? How do rich people put all those zeros on a check? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're if you're in the outdoor media, you're not a rich person. You don't have to worry no. about that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, Joey, we like to start our show with with asking folks you know what we've been doing outside because uh of course the whole reason we're all here is because we we celebrate the outdoors so much here and i'll, I'll just i'll get to you last because you, you you're probably gonna have the best story i'll start with bill bill what do you what do you been up to we haven't talked about this for a little bit here it has been a bit and, and I, i'm glad we haven't been because my outdoor resume over the last three or four weeks has been dismal uh lots of work travel uh and very little fishing and what fishing I've done, I just have not been able to get on top of them. So I'm, I'm hoping maybe to pick up something today that'll turn things around because, you know, Mandela's asked me to actually get on the water and film a little something. And it'd be nice to catch a fish when I do that tomorrow. Oh, built in excuse too. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Aaron? Uh, I've been, you know, getting in some fishing because it's summertime. We've had a, a really interesting season here in Colorado. The snow lasted for so long, and the rivers are just now actually kind of coming down to their post-runoff levels, which has been pretty interesting. But the dry fly fishing, the, the big old hopper-type dry fly fishing has just extended and extended and been fantastic. And so I've been getting in a lot of that, a little bit of high mountain uh, lake fishing and a little bit of just starting to scout a bit for for archery season for my my son's archery elk hunt and so getting out a little 
And the bad news is, is that about three weeks ago when I was fishing, I was getting off the water and I fell down on the top of an oar right and broke ribs. So I, I have that to show that I'm still not over. Obviously at three weeks, it takes a little longer than that. I'm over most of the toughest stuff. It was about 10 days or so of real rough sleep and all that mm. kind of stuff, but, uh, still yeah. there, but not bugging me like so, so bad, you know, that, that you can't sit still. So, uh, I got a little battle scar, I guess we'll call that one. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Joey, let's, let's jump to you. You're, you're an outdoorsman, you know, by trade too. What, what have you been up to outside? Well, you know, when you said the fly rod, one of the things I love to do, and I, I have to admit, I put the bass tackle up when the bluegill are spawning. And if you can find a farm pond with bluegill, I got a five weight old, old, like me, browning fly rod. And uh, I take a five weight fly rod and I'll hit that farm pond and throw these little sponge spiders on them. And you catch the one closest to you first so you don't disturb the rest of the beds. And if there's 100 of them in there, you can catch 90 of them. I mean, it is really <laughs> fun. And then I moved, uh, I moved uh, December 22nd. At, we built a house on Woods Reservoir. And it's not a gigantic lake by lake standards, it's about 3,600 acres. And uh, part of my claim to fame is being low tech or no tech. So I'm in a kayak and we're trying to learn this lake. And, you know, when I was filming TV shows, I was everywhere. I, I, I filmed everywhere from Canada, Mexico and everywhere in between, even Hawaii uh, in the freshwater lakes in Hawaii. But uh, trying to figure out this woods reservoir. And uh, so I'm looking for usually something offshore and a single big type of structure. And I found a gigantic stump in about. 10 to 12 feet of water and you're doing this kind of it's kind of the stevie wonder thing i'm feeling along the bottom to see what i can find and found this big stump came back to it two days later and start throwing a, a chatterbait a strike king chatterbait and uh second cast i bumped it pretty good and the rod tip just went down and uh turned out to be a 24 inch nine pound largemouth so mm. you know again it's kind of a process where people think well you just go out to a lake well when you're a low-tech guy you know, you're looking for what I call visual clues. So, you know, I call them optical conclusions. So when you when you get out there, you know, you're looking for something that's a natural. And this is kind of the fun part for me is I'm doing all this stuff in a very natural way where if batteries go, the only batteries I got are in my watch and in my cell phone. Other than that, I'm just out there kind of hunting along and trying to find things. So it's been good. Summer fishing for me is probably the most challenging like if you can't catch fish in April and October, then you can't catch fish. And in, in the outdoors, I have been quoted as telling people everything eats in October. And when you're here, I'm telling you, whether you're a turkey hunter, a deer hunter, a bass fisherman, a crappie fisherman, it all comes alive in the fall. So I'm kind of getting ready for that, but I never wish any of my life away. I enjoy just getting out. Well, I enjoyed enough that last year I fished 120 days. So I did that even when I had a real job. So it's, you know, it's it requires like a, a lot a lot of sacrifice and not too awful much sleep. So yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty good summer all in all. Well, I, I'm looking forward to later in the show to talk to a guy about catching fish without forward facing sonar and side imaging and, you know, everything else that, you know, fishermen in this area and all over the country, you know, use to some extent and, and you don't have to, and I'm looking forward to getting into that. Um, and, and, on the October thing, I did tell my wife, if it gets any worse, I'm pulling the boat and it isn't going in until October. So, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and be the guy that can only catch them in October. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, um, that's part of the process. I think when you go outdoors, 
And if you've ever guided or if you've ever taken somebody and you're trying to help that kid catch their first fish or have a, a whitetail walk in front of them, not necessarily a buck, just, you know, I, I don't think you ever go in the outdoors without coming back with a good story. And uh, so, you know, when you do that, it requires, uh, in, you know, I was in karate for decades and one of the, the Japanese word is zanshin, and it's the awareness of everything around you. And when you have that, if you don't have it, you try to develop it. But if you do have it, boy, does it make it a much more uh, rich experience when you're in the outdoors because you'll hear something or see something or smell something that, you know, gives you that familiar smell or uh, that appeals to your senses. And it just makes it that much more of a great experience. I'm glad you said that, Joey, because it just justified a bunch of my rhetoric <laughs> that I say to to a lot of people that the sporting community are so are so important for for all these natural resources decisions because being in the outdoors, hunting, fishing, spending all the time we're talking about actually gives you this heightened sense, this understanding of your surroundings, especially when you're pursuing something, trying to be quiet, trying to be stealthy. Uh, you really get this heightened sense and this heightened understanding of the the woods and the waters, and that gives you a, you know, a, a I think a different kind of, you know, authority even when you're talking about these these decisions and and what happens when you're talking about developing a landscape or, you know, restoring a landscape. So I appreciate you you justified one of my points of view that I really mention a lot. So thank you. Oh well, and, and you know. Uh, once you've come to love something, you, you want to protect that. And for me, it's like, I want to not just protect it for me because, you know, when I'm, when we catch a really big fish, we kind of had a tendency to, to scoot off. So somebody doesn't see exactly what we're catching and where we're catching them. But then on the radio, I do radio every morning here from the house for AM 650 WSM. It's a little old station, uh, 50,000 Watts hitting 38 States. And uh, so <laughs> when we do that, I, I, what the hallmark of the show has been that, or the spot has been that I'm telling people what to do now and next week, not what happened last week. That's history. So that's really a, 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 on the plus side. But once you start feeling that success and everybody measures it a little bit differently, boy, I'm telling you, you will encourage that. And to me, the best legacy I could ever leave is making sure that there's bass and crappie and bluegill and deer and turkey for the next generation. Maybe not for the kids that oh, are man. five. That's somebody else's job to do that. But, you know, it's not just catch and release. It's being a good steward of the outdoors. And that doesn't mean just picking up trash. That means spreading the word. And that's what we do. We're communicators. And I, I wear that title gladly than an outdoor communicator where we're actually not we're not advertising. We're communicating and sending a message that says, this is what we found. We want you to be available for you. Amen. But, you know, Joey, I've, I've known you in your professional life or in your professional outdoors life and know a little bit about your, your regular career, which you maintained all throughout this time that you built your, your fishing and outdoor career. But I want to take you back farther uh, because I didn't know really anything about your childhood and all until your first book, I'll Be Tennessee, and you came out. And, and reading that, man, you had so many great childhood stories of, of some about adversity, some about support, some about just figuring life out. And, and you know, I don't want to lead you anything anywhere with this, but I'd love for you to, to maybe share a, a quick story or two about things that happened then or took place that have helped shape who you are today and, and give you that drive to do all the things you accomplish, all these things. You know, uh, to, to lead that off, I would tell you this, and it's obvious that we all enjoy some of the same things. 
And uh, there was a there was a story several years ago. Uh, somebody was talking about Nolan Ryan, the baseball player, and they said they characterized it. He was born to throw a baseball. And I'm not saying this is necessarily me or any one of the three of us, but I'm also not excluding us from this. When I was a kid, we were in the city all the time. I mean, the inner city. My dad had a store in the inner city. And when I speak publicly, I explain to people that there's two types of people that, that work really hard. They're Italians and farmers, and they have children so that they'll work for them. And so I said, I was always just glad my dad wasn't an Italian farmer because I figured I'd have to work twice as hard. But, uh, my dad had his own meat market, and it wasn't a question of whether you were going to work there. When we were old enough to stand behind a counter on the old wooden soda cases, we went to work with my father. And we, were, we learned to work like men when we were in our early teens. And uh, it was in the city. So a little spooky for a, a preteen kid. Uh, and it was a lot of hard work. It was, you know, uh, long hours and short pay. But that's anybody that's got somebody uh, that owns a business understands what that's about. And sometimes it's what we want to do. And sometimes what we figure out what we don't want to do. And I knew that, you know, for me, I didn't mind the physical work at all. And I'm still a fairly physical person. And somebody asked me the other day how old I was. And I said, well, you know how you, we've got a grandchild that's six months old. And I said, well, I'm 870 months old. I'm I'm 72. I'm 72 and a half about is what it amounts to. So I still have that zest for life. And, you know, every I, I hate to sound too poetic, but every day when I get up, I mean, I embrace the day. What am I going to do today? And it, it generally revolves around something outside and not cutting grass. So if there's, you know, if I can get out and fish or hunt or scout or just kind of drive around and look or, you know, you hone those skills you know, over a period of time and you either get better or you go play golf. You know, that's what it really comes down to for me from an outdoor perspective. But that that kind of gave me an idea that I, I didn't want to be inside. And uh, there was actually this is and this is in the book. There was a farmer when we finally got to move out of the city into the county. There was a farmer that main, that sold all his property, but he maintained 19 acres of ground and he was a judge. Judge Henry Rott, and boy, this guy was a character now. I mean, stern, but he had two farm ponds on there. And as kids, I wanted to go over and try to learn how to fish and fish that farm pond. Well, he didn't let anybody in. Or matter of fact, he'd run you out. Well, I finally got in his good graces by working for him, said, can I fish in the pond? And he said, yeah. So uh, I, 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 there was a chicken coop, and chickens have a tendency to produce something that's a really good cover for night crawlers. I would take one spade of <laughs> chicken poop, turn that over and find enough night crawlers to put in my little coffee can, go down to this pond, had no idea what I was doing, flip this out in front of a little willow tree, that float went down, and I caught up. After about a year of doing this, I finally caught a fish. It weighed about a pound and a half. I flopped it out of my feet and changed my life forever. I said, now I know what it is I do want to do. And, you know, chasing stuff in the outdoors and, and enjoying that, that experience. And, you know, it was my first catch and release and my first, my first bass. I mean, and again, uh, the second book was called 60 Seasons because I started fishing when I was about probably 11 or 12. And I hear people say, well, you know, I was fishing when I was in diapers. When I was in diapers, the next thing I knew, I was in, in long pants and working in a, a meat market in downtown St. Louis. So though that really kind of changed my life to saying, you know, the, and I don't think it's about the fish. I think it's about the feeling that you get when you accomplish something in the outdoors. Amen. And I, you know, I, I love hearing stories about people who didn't grow up in a hunting and fishing household where it was just part of life uh, because it does point to you aren't 
it's not like you have to be born into it. I, I didn't have a choice. You know, I was fishing and hunting at a very young age, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. There's nothing to keep anyone from uh, enjoying what we've all come to love in our lives. Well, and I think for me, because I didn't have anybody in my uh, in a, my parents, my uncles, whatever, any of those people who did do that, it kind of gave me, one, once I caught the fire for that, man, I would go, my grandpa had a place out in the country, we called it out in the country, and uh, there was a little creek there called Skullbone Creek, and you could walk that creek and you could find maybe an arrowhead or flip a rock thinking you're going to find a crawfish and f- find a snake or what. So it was an adventure, you know, and it was not the city. It was out there. It was clean air. And every time you turned around, there was going to be something else to see. You'd walk down an old dirt road and a cubby of quail would come up and scare the daylights out of you. But then you think, mm-hmm. wow, that was really cool. Or you see something happen, that interplay that you have in nature, that when you see something happen, it, it could be the birth of a fawn or it could be, you know, uh, again, waxing poetic. It's the the call of the bobwhite quail in the evening, you know, that recall that you think, wow, this is really something. I mean, it gets under your skin. It really does, or it did for me anyway, let's put it that way. Joey, did you ever have a moment? I mean, you, your trajectory seems like, you know, you hit it. And then once you hit it, you were in it, you know. Did you ever have a moment, maybe when you were, a, you know, a high school kid and distracted with sports or something else where you maybe wouldn't have went this path? And, and what happened there if, if, that, if that did occur? Well, in fact, I did go, I, I went to school, uh, uh, my parents decided to be a really good idea if I went to an all boys preparatory school. And it's like, I, <laughs> you want to talk about the, the, somebody that's completely out of their element. Believe me, I was. And, you know, we're all wearing suits and ties to, to, to go to school. And it's like, uh, you know, and, you know, I was, I did get in some trouble when I was a kid. I'm not going to elaborate on that, but I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't so illegal that I went to the gray bar hotel, but it was some of those things that I said to myself, you know what, I'm pretty lucky that I got of this unscathed. And I, you know, again, I know what I want to do and I know what I don't want to do. And the other thing that I realized early on that it, whether you have kids in your family or your neighborhood, we all end up being examples for people. And the last thing that I wanted to be was a bad example for somebody. And still this today, you know, I don't want to be a bad example. I want to be an example of not necessarily that somebody has to look up to you, but somebody says, you know, when I do any kind of media work, there's three tests that I give myself. And it says, by the time I'm done, somebody should say, that looks like fun. I think I can do that. Or I'd like to try that. And if anybody says one of those things or all three of those things, then I've done my job. And I, and then you're introducing somebody. I think that for all of us, you know, like you're talking about your son going on an elk hunt, you know, for all of us, we want somebody to experience the same thing we have. So it makes some sense that we're going back. And, you know, I carry, you know, I got sponsors that are very, very uh, kind to me. And I carry a lot of baits in my truck. And if somebody sees me and says, hey, we heard you on the radio or we saw you on TV or we saw you at a boat show and my son would like to start fishing. I said, hold on a minute. Let me run out to my truck and I'll go get some soft plastics or some some little tubes, short worms, any of those kind of things and said, here, try these the next time you go. You know, to me, that's 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 truly leaving a legacy because especially with kids are always going to remember a kindness from an adult. And if it helps them along the way catch their first fish, which I've been lucky to do is take kids fishing and see them catch their first fish. That's a thrill. It doesn't have to be my kids or, you know, or my grandkids. It's somebody else's kids. And then it's that that smile that you see that's going to be in your memory forever. That smile of that first fish and that kid holding up a, a little 
you know, a four-inch bluegill, which is no big deal to us, but it is to them. Amen. Well, I, I'm going to take you a little bit farther along down the road because I, I guarantee, and this happens to all of us, no matter how much we love it, how entrenched we are in hunting and fishing and, and all of that, but there, there's bound to be a point, you know, whether college or when you're young and starting to work or first get married the first time or whatever, it gets tough. And, and we, even today, lose a lot of people there that grew up hunting and fishing. And then maybe they never get back into it. Hopefully they come back later. Let's talk about those years. Kind of how did you deal with, you, you had a lot going on in life and you couldn't just walk down to, you know, that, that judge's pond and, and fish in your spare time. You know, you bring up a really good point because, you know, I'll be I did boat shows for 35 years all over the country. I mean, I was truly blessed and honored to be able to do that. And people say, oh, you know, I used to do that. I said, oh, wait a minute. I'll tell you what. You got married. You got a better job and you had two kids or three kids. And he said, yeah. And he said, I just never fish anymore. And I said, boy, I said, you've walked away from it at exactly the wrong time. This is when you should be going out there. And it's it was kind of like for me that you're exactly right. Uh I had, you know, when I got my first away from my father, my regular real job, you know, I was working, I was on the clock and I was one of those guys that said, you know, I'm not going to ride the clock, but if you got work to do, I, I want money. I need money. I want to buy a house like everybody else. I want to live that American dream. Little did I realize my American dream would get so huge that, you know, again, it's saying, if you want to talk about somebody that's blessed, I said, read that first book. And people say, did you really do all this? I said, I did more than that. I said, I read the book and say, I, to me, it's like, I can't believe one human being got to do all that stuff. But what I what happened to me was, I was like a lot of people, I was bank bound. So you're fishing off the bank and you can catch fish off the bank. And, you know, I waded some creeks. And if you live in Colorado, you're probably wading some really pretty streams. But, you know, I decided I, I just need I, I really longed to have a boat. And as luck would have it, the, the people that I worked with were the kind of people that in the in the fall, they sold their fishing equipment to get hunting equipment. In the spring, they sold their hunting equipment to get <laughs> fishing equipment. So a guy was going to a guy was going to have a uh, he was going to have a um, uh, a a. Um, uh, uh, not a lottery, but uh, uh, he, he, he was taking tickets for five bucks a piece. He was going to sell 10 tickets and he had a little John boat that he was going to, that he was going to, you know, auction off or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call that. And uh, I, I won it. So I won my first boat for, for $5. I needed a boat and it was terrible. The boat was, had, it looked like it had been through the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. It had so many holes in the bottom of it. And I just discovered a great item called plastic aluminum. I put that on the bottom of that boat, sanded it down, camo painted it, and put a little name on there. It said, We Fish A Lot. There was a little boat, so I called it the <laughs> We Fish A Lot. And eventually, I moved up to the bass bucket, which was a, you know, instead of a 10-foot boat, it was a 12-foot boat. But I got that I got that boat, and I went to, a, a, I, 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 I found a secondhand, um, okay, we're reconnected. I found a, I found a secondhand trolling motor an old shakespeare trolling motor 606 and i didn't have any money for a battery so i was driving an old dodge van i'd get to a place i take out my car battery hook it up to my trolling motor and when and i had a six foot wooden paddle that when my trolling motor wouldn't turn anymore i'd paddle back in i said that's when you know somebody really wanted to fish 
So Amen. it was my first boat, my first trolling motor. And I, I found out later on, not being a mechanical person, that, you know, taking a car battery is not a really good idea. You need, you need to have that <laughs> marine battery. They're not made to charge and discharge. And, but I was catching some fish. You know, I wasn't catching a bunch, but I was catching a few fish. And we can all probably relate to this. The more that I did it, the more that I liked it, the more that I liked it, the better I got. And then it just kind of took on a life of its own. And I never dreamed for ever that I would do radio or TV or write a book or do fishing seminars or whatever. I just knew I liked it. So it was a, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a different path to take, but we all, we could all say that we all probably took a path that somebody would say, man, that, you know, one thing led to the next, to the next, to the next, it's called life. Absolutely. Well, but this whole time, you know, now we watch them on television. Guys become bass pros, you know, in college and and come out of college and go straight into it and that sort of thing. You were working a traditional career. I mean, you you were working a serious job. And, and you know, talk just a little bit about the job because you know no one likes hearing about our jobs really. But let's talk a little bit about that so people can gain an understanding and also kind of how you managed to to find some kind of balance you know in your life at that time enough to be able to fish too well and you, you know I, I went to work for the kroger company a, a food company and manufacturing dairy manufacturing so i've been around food so i know how to clean and you know and you know in hard work i didn't have any reverse it, it, it never bothered me i realized i was never going to be the racehorse i was always going to be the plow horse so i knew i was going to have to have to work hours and i remember one of the one of the parts of the legend is uh, I remember working 96 hours in six days and, you know, I came home. It was just totally exhausted. But, you know, it was available. It was necessary. And I did it and, and you know, was making money. So, you know, I also learned that I could go on about four or five hours worth of sleep, that I could go out there and do that. And whether, you know, when we hunted quail in Missouri, we didn't have dogs. We were the dogs. We flushed. We retrieved, you know, and when I was fishing. I really, and I know this sounds funny, but I almost felt like the fishing was as good for me as sleep was, that I was that relaxed when I was doing it. And, you know, people would say to me, especially when I was guiding in Canada, people, I got to guide canoe trips in Canada for 27 summers. And some guy said, you know, what, aren't you worried? What if your house burns down? I said, I'm not a fireman. I said, you know, I'm, I'm up here and I'm said, I'm, I'm doing what I love to do, what I was born to do. I found that. So what I found was, uh, was, that I could have a real job and I could work really hard, be good with my family. And what I started doing a lot of times was the night fishing because my wife and kids were asleep. I could go out there and get three or four hours of night fishing in, come home, catch about three hours and promise I was never going to do it again and be ready to do it two days from then. You know, so it, it is about some kind of balance, you know, that you still have to take care of your family and make a few bucks and then, you know, feed that. I, I wanted to, to feed that monster that had been awakened in me that says, man, this outdoor thing, you know, it's unlimited. I mean, it's only limited by what you're willing to tolerate and what you're willing to do, what you're willing to sacrifice to do it. So, you know, having a job and then, and then, you know, when I started doing some of the media stuff, you know, people, you know, people would uh, kind of understand that I had to have that balance also that I got my satisfaction out of the media work. The other supplied me with a check and insurance and benefits but, you know, the media work is what I truly loved and really enjoyed doing. So I didn't mind making that sacrifice. And if you're in media, the stuff that I did, you realize that sometimes you're going to go on three or four hours sleep and, you know, you'll, you'll live through it. You know, and again, the enjoyment that you get out of it is 
you know, it's well, well worth it. Yeah, I used to laugh because I was at a I was at a deal and I was emceeing a, a a big a, a board full of people that were giving advice to folks. And one one parent stood up and said, my son said he wants to grow up to be just like you. And I said, oh, he's got to aim higher than that. And I said, I, I called him up on stage and I said, so you want to be a, an outdoor guy? And he said, yeah. I said, I'll tell you what the trick is. You go, you go to the toy store and buy the biggest bag of marbles you can find. And when you go fishing, throw one out the window on your way back, see if you can find it. When you go hunting, throw one out on your way back, see if you can find it. Once you've lost all your marbles, you can do exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> I like that. I like that balancing act you talked about too, between fishing and sleeping. I don't think I've ever considered, is it better for me to fish right now or sleep right now? I've gotten up plenty early and stayed up late to fish, but I don't think I've ever actually decided one or the other like that. I like it. Howdy listeners. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. And for even more excellent content, here's a message from our partner podcast. Hey everyone, this is Carly Kutnick from Artemis Sportswomen. We know you love awesome stories of hunting, fishing, and conservation. So head on over to the Artemis podcast where you'll meet adventurous, accomplished women who are redefining conservation through their lives in the field and on the water. Filled with humor, audacity, empathy, and intelligence, Artemis brings you new voices and introduces you to women from all walks of the sporting community. Find Artemis wherever you get your podcasts. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Joey, tell us to, uh, uh, I know you spent a lot of this, this time in Missouri and I, I don't know a ton about Missouri, but I'm learning and, and as, and, a, one of the greatest things I love about spending time with Bill and just our, our, you know, working together is that we get to share and teach each other about kind of our neck of the woods, right. And the Southeast and that whole country. And Bill and I spent, I don't know, a week or so together last winter kind of traipsing around there. I was in Arkansas and Missouri and some of those spots. And I got another buddy, Brandon Butler, who runs this thing called Driftwood Outdoors. You may have heard of him. He's got a podcast. He's in Missouri. And it's it's a cool state. But talk about, you know, what is it like now compared to your time there? Is it, is it doing well? Is it getting worse? What is it looking like? It, in Missouri, you know, you've got – because I was in a metropolitan area, you don't get much more metropolitan than St. Louis. But, yeah. you know, when you get away from there, you know, you got the Ozarks. The Ozarks aren't yeah. too much different than Tennessee in that you have our, our state's got three uh, very defined regions that you've got the Delta side around Memphis. You skip over to the eastern part of the state and you got the mountains and you go to the middle and you got a little bit of everything. So this is a great I mean, if you're an outdoor person, it's a great training ground. Or if you just want to say, you know, you can go to the same lake and catch walleye, big blue cat, smallmouth bass, largemouth bass, Kentucky bass, uh, muskie, 
you know, we've got we have got everything. And, and Missouri is not too much different in, in that, you know, from a topography standpoint, you know, if you wade in those little creeks and streams uh, in Missouri, I used to love to do that. You know, and you, we call them wet leggers that you're getting out there and you're wading through there. And if the water's if the water's above 65, you can probably stand it a little cooler than that. You're not going to stay in there very long. But, you know, again, it's the solitude. You know, when they did the movie, A River Runs Through It, it, it re-energized people to, to fly fishing. But for me, when I stepped into a stream and it's everything that you see around that, you know, and it's some of the stories that we carry with us. Um, I remember opening day of deer season and I was out there and I didn't want to climb because it's really hot here. So I, I found a little uh, wild rose and a bunch of brush and I got down inside that with my bow and the best deer hunt I ever had, I never took a deer. I watched these two fawns hop over a fence and a doe come right behind them. They walked, I measured it afterwards. I watched them for 22 minutes and at one point was no more than 12 feet away from them. And to me, whether you're dragging something out of the woods or you have that experience, that's what it's like to be in the outdoors. And then if I can just break away from this just for one second, you know, when pe all the checks are cashed. I mean, if you're writing or doing TV or radio or whatever, but I was doing a boat show in Nashville and uh, I used to call Bill Dance and have him send me a couple of autographed hats. And I picked somebody out of the audience to get the hat. And uh, I remember looking out there and there was a young man in a wheelchair. And uh, I said, that's who's going to get the hat. Brought him up. I'm getting a little emotional. Uh, brought him up to the stage with me. And I said, you know, he's, his grandparents came up with him and said, you know, he, he came here specifically to see you. And I said, really? And she said, yeah. He's got every article that you've ever written, and he's got a three-hole punched in a binder. And I asked the little guy, wow. I said, what, I said what's awesome. the deal? He, so he's in a wheelchair, and I said, so what's the deal? What do you like about that? He said, when I read your stuff, I feel like I'm right there with you. Wow. That's that, incredible. That's strong. How, what paycheck matches that? You know, so you're taking somebody from wheelchair to being out on a farm pond with and catching bluegill or whatever that is. And so that's the true payoff. To me, that's the true payoff. Um, and there's so we all have stories. I mean, you know, it really literally changes your life. I was on a I was on a long tramp in Kentucky Lake for a, a big striking pro deal. And a guy was getting ready to back his boat in. He was, you know, flying solo. And I said, can I help you? And he said, no, I got it. I said, okay, we got out of his, he got, we got ready to get in his boat. And I said, hi, I'm Joey Monteleone. I just want to let you know that I was more than willing to help. And he said, oh, I know who you are. He said, we were at the Nashville boat show 25 years ago. And uh, you were pitching a jig into a cup from up about 30 feet. And he said, my son said, I wish I could learn how to do that. Come on over here. I said, I'll show you how to do it. And I said, you, he said, you spent 10 w minutes with him and he had never picked up a fishing rod before that. And he's never put one down. Wow. That you know, those those are the stories to me that um, really, I'm, I'm, I'm sounding like a sentimental little fool, but those are the stories that shape and define my life. That's beautiful. I think you sound wonderful. I love hearing those stories. That That's wealth. That's not a paycheck and paying bills. That, that's a kind of wealth. And that's There's why no you, you write a book or you go on radio or you do a podcast to spread that word, to let everybody know. We, you know, we can all find the bad stuff in the world if we're looking for it. It's not too hard to find, actually. You know, we're surrounded by it. But there's good news out there. There really is. And there's, you know, that, that it's, it's the rebirth of the outdoors by bringing somebody else into it, that somebody's going to love it and nurture it just like we have. 
But, you know, Joey, I've, I've been able to watch you kind of transform yourself and the way you do things, you know, in the time that I've first watched you. And then as I've gotten to know you, I mean, when I met you, you were, you were in the go fast glitter boats and, you know, <laughs> around the tournament scene and all of that. And, and, and now you've kind of gotten out of that and you're into a whole different thing, but, but I'd love for you just quickly to talk about that era and, and then let's move on to where you are currently. Cause I, I love it and think there's so much to talk about there. Well, the appeal for a lot of people, everybody wants to hear about bass and everybody wants to hear about the go fast boats and all that. So, and I get it. I where a lot of people do. I get it. And, you know, I had a chance to go pro, go big time. I mean, I was catching a bunch of fish and I was my my ticket was catching big fish. And, you know, I think I cracked the code for catching big fish. And it really is without sounding waxing too poetic. It's blending in and doing something that's very, very natural and you're working in, in in harmony with all this stuff. And it doesn't really go, you know, those guys in the big boats are fishing for five fish. I'm fishing for a five. So, you know, that's a little bit of a different mindset. And when you're doing TV, you know, a lot of times we were not forced, but, you know, people want to see you in there and you're motoring down the lake and everybody's dreamed to be in that $70,000 bass boat. And, you know, so, uh, so we were, we were doing that and doing that. And people would say, so where's your favorite spot? I said, the next place I'm going. I mean, really, and honestly, it probably is. And uh, what's your favorite fish? It's the next one at the end of the line. Uh, the big boat thing, I guess I've always kind of looked at, because I'm also a twin, that I always wanted to do something that nobody else has ever done, and especially nobody in my family. So it led me to going to, uh, you know, uh, starting karate. You know, we were we were thugs because we lived in St. Louis. Now I'm just a thug that knows karate. So, you know, and doing things like guiding in Canada. I went up to Canada to the Quetico. Uh, when you go into Ely, they call it the, the boundary waters. When you go on the other side, it's the Quetico. And I went up there one year and I said, man, this is just too cool not to do this. And so I was going to go back. And then after about three years, I decided I'd start guiding again to have somebody experience the same thing that I did. And uh, so I did that for 27 summers. And I got a chapter in the first book called Canoes and Campfires where you can't sit at a campfire, and I don't care if you're a guy or girl or a kid, and not stare off into that campfire and see the same thing people did 500 years ago. So, you know, that catching a bunch of sm more smallmouth than actually ought to be legal. I mean, we caught so many fish, it was incredible. And again, it adds to that memory, but you're you're bringing somebody in that probably couldn't come in on their own. Matter of fact, every, I always laughed at the guys that all wanted a map, and I said, it's 3 million square acres. I can give you a map, but I'll give you 20 bucks if you can show me where you are right now. <laughs> so we paddle in there, you know, We and I had my stick as a guy. We'd paddle in there, and we'd be about four hours into the paddle. And I told him, I said, you know what? I forgot to tell you the most important thing. They said, what's that? I said, if I die, you're lost. You know, so it does it does bring a whole new uh, a whole new uh, appreciation for the guide. Like, let's take care of him and make sure he's okay kind of a thing. So, you know, up the, and, there, you know, every day when you go out again, there's some kind of adventure. You're going to see something. You're going to experience something that's completely, you know, that, is, is different. And, uh, you know, when you're talking to people that are like-minded, you can see the visual clues that they're giving you the up and down that they really understand. You see a, a little smile come across their face. You know, when a guy says, you know, I, I'll have a guy, I'll be doing a seminar and a guy said, well, I caught a seven pound bass on Percy Priest and I was in Suggs Creek throwing a chrome and blue rattle trap on a loose rod and reel. I said, when's your wife's birthday? And the guy said, um, uh, you know, <laughs> So the things that the things that are imprinted on people are, you know, are priorities. But, you know, you and, it, you know, everybody kind of gets a laugh out of that. But that's who we are. I mean, you know, that's that's the things that really, really do matter to us. And 
Um, you know, I never get tired of that. It doesn't have to. I mean, I love the big fish thing. You know, catching that nine was one thing. I, I caught a, uh, you know, I transformed out of the big boat into a kayak. And I did the John boat thing for a long time because I could go in places nobody else could get to. And uh, I don't know that this is a record or not, but I caught an 11-3 largemouth out of my kayak. And that's a, that's the, to me, that was a fish of a lifetime. The Canada thing, I caught a, an eight pound smallmouth in Canada. You know, it's, wow. yeah, I mean, it's crazy. And in the little bitty Stones River in the middle of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, I caught a 19 and a half inch crappie that I'm going to guess was probably pushing four pounds. Just a little bitty old creek running through, or not a creek, but a small stream running through that, through that, that town. That shouldn't be possible for a crappie that size to live in that spot. It, and, you know, it's exactly that that's the reason that they're living there because it's got, well, you know, when you look at it, they have everything that they need. There's a good shad population. There's not a lot of fishing pressure. You know, that you can go think the water's clean because it's got all the indicators, crawfish and certain kind of aquatic vegetation and dragonflies and uh, helgramites and all the things that said it's clean water. And then it's putting them back. You know, I kind of laugh when people say, I want to catch a 10-pound bass. It's like, well, you can't keep eating the five pounders and get the 10 pounds. You know, you got to go five to get the 10. So catch and release is important. But there is a time to when you want to harvest some fish. And when people, you know, kind of frown on harvesting fish, I said, well, let me give you an example. I, I, I'm sitting in my house and I can look out at a cornfield. And I said, a farmer never goes out and said, boy, that cornfield is sure pretty. I don't think I want to harvest that. I'm just going to leave that out in the field. So harvesting some of those, you know, in, in management of whether it's deer, you know, bucks or bass or whatever, management is a, a big part of it, which is what you guys do. You know, and the thanks goes to you guys because you're the ones that are creating the opportunities for people. I'm, I'm the guy that's enjoying it, but you guys are creating. Organizations like yours are creating the opportunities for people to enjoy for the next 10, 15, 20 50 years, whatever. I won't be around, but somebody will. And they're going to enjoy that because of the work that you're doing. And the old saying is the, the if you, the, um, the highest calling is planting a tree, knowing you're never going to sit in the shade. That's what you're doing. Love it. Well, it, go ahead, Aaron. Well, I just love that. I, I, I thought it, I was even going to give you a chance to wax on that a little bit because we always say, you know, and, and, I say every time I say this, I think that uh, people get tired of hearing me say it, that it's a, you know, no longer can we, we have all this privilege without some obligation to help take care of it. You know, mm -hmm. there's just too many people, too many, you know, technology, like we've talked about here. I mean, it, I, I remember coming out to Tennessee with Bill and seeing, uh, we went on a fellow's bass boat and, Oh my gosh, I'd never been, I'm, I'm a Westerner, right? I'd never been on a boat like that. He had all kinds of sonar and the foot pedal motors and 10 different rods. And oh my gosh, I was, my mind was blown. And I'm thinking how these fish have a chance, you know, and, and all the different kinds of lures. But, you know, maybe you can talk a little bit about the conservation aspect, what you've seen, what do you think people need to be thinking about as they're going and enjoying these resources, you know, and, and, and how your career and life has influenced that. Um, I think, again, that we're all examples. And for I, I will tell people, and, uh, we had a guy down here that I did a TV show with for 15 years. His name was Bill Hall. And I said, he never met a crappie he didn't eat. You know, so <laughs> it, it was uh, for me, it's like I tell people in the springtime, I've got what I self-imposed, what I call the 50-50 rule, that when I'm in a crappie hole, I said, I'll keep one, I'll release one, I'll keep one, I'll release one. And the limit here is 15. When I get to 10, I'm done for the day. I'm going to string 10. 
and I'm going to, and I'm going to, that's enough for a meal for me and, and my family. And then I'll go back and they're going to be there the next day. I was kind of laugh when people say, well, we used to catch crappie here all the time. And, you know, we limited out every day for, you know, for months. I said, well, you know, it's, it's a renewable resource and a sustainable resource is what you're trying to accomplish. And it's important to do that. And, you know, when the people are out there in the big, in whether it's live scope or forward facing or whatever, you know, the, the and I don't mind, you know, technology. I'm no tech or low tech, but the problem I always have is that what I see in the outdoors more and more is that people are separating themselves from their senses, which that I'm, I'm totally against that, that they're staring. It's kind of like the cashier at the big box store. They're staring at that cat at the cash register to see what their change is supposed to be. And they can't count it back. When I was a kid, I learned how to count it back and count it back in Italian. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's so, you know, the challenge is for people to keep that. Uh, if you, if you don't mind me saying it this way, keep that feel for what's going on in the outdoors. You know, when you, when you look at a spot and you make a cast and you're drifting a fly down, down one of those streams, you say, that's where it's going to get bit three, two, one slurp. How did somebody says, how'd you know that? And I said, if I could tell you that for sure, I'd be, uh, instead of being a poor outdoor writer, I'd be a multi, multi-millionaire. But you just kind of look and recognize and you you develop that feel. That's when you belong. That's when you're out there. When you set up a tree stand and that deer walks within 15, not 15 yards, 15 feet of you say, you know what? I got it right. And, you know, we're, bombard- we're bombarded by people saying, well, we've got these scent-free clothes for the deer hunter. And I'm not, I like it. I'm not the greatest deer hunter, but I tell people, I said, don't ever buy into the idea that you're scent free because you're we're there in we're there in recreational mode. They're in survival mode. And I guarantee you that deer knows you're there, just can't see you all the time. So it's, it's about fitting in there. And again, I, I don't mind the technology. Just don't get so tied up in it that where you're saying, you know, I can't go because I don't have this or my battery went out. So we might as well turn around and go back to the to the launch ramp because my bad unless it's your trolling motor. You, you can do it, you know, do it the way grandpa did it. They called them stump sitters around here where when they were deer hunting, they went out and found a stump and they sat on it and waited for a deer to walk up. And there was no camo clothes. There was no real tree. The real tree was the real tree. It wasn't a camo pattern, you know, that you could just sit there. And if you're quiet, you learn to be quiet. You learn to be stealthy. In the kayak, I tell people I'm going to ninja stealth mode when I can just drift into a spot. You know, I've caught fish literally right at my feet because I want to stand up in that kayak, they have no idea I'm there. That is when you are, at least for a moment, you're, 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 uh, you're embracing that sport. And the, the one thing I always like to point out to people, and I include myself in this, nobody's bigger than the sport. When people start getting the big head and say, oh, well, you know, that person caught this or that person did this, or people would see me in public and say, you know, I saw you on television. That's really cool. You're a TV star. And I said, if you want to be on television, you can go rob a gas station and be on television. The camera will catch you and you will make an appearance on the 10 o'clock news, I promise you. So it's not, you know, nobody's bigger than the sport. And this is just, we're, we're all just here for a short period of time and doing what we can do, you know, or that's how I view it anyway. Well, you know, Joey, I, we've talked a lot about conservation and kind of our, our thoughts about different things, but there may be nothing more important to, to conservation than getting new people involved and getting them an appreciation for our wildlife mm-hmm. resources. And if, if some, you know, a 20 year old guy or gal who's never fished were to look in my bass boat and 
think that's what you need to go fishing with all the gear and all that. Well, that'd be a mess, and it'd give them a false impression, and they'd never start. I'd never start. I would have never started. The way you have gone from that end of things to this minimalist approach, yet you're still catching tons of fish, tons of big fish. I don't know if you're still on that roll if you've caught one every January 1st for however long, but uh, let's talk about that minimalist approach and, and what people really need, you know, how you've been successful with so few things and how someone can look at it that way and maybe move in that direction. Well, my sponsors don't like it when I say this, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> I, I have the one-year rule for my tackle box. I carry two one-sided little Plano 3600 tackle boxes with me, and I do change things out of them, but I said, you can buy, you can get the biggest tackle box you want and fill it up. If it doesn't get tied on, doesn't get wet, doesn't catch a fish, you got to take it out. You know what you got in about four years? A small tackle box with stuff that you absolutely know will catch a fish. And if you want to know how to get really good at this, wade that creek and watch and see how that minnow swims. You know, when it swims, when it just swims along, nothing bothers it. When it's frightened and it starts darting, that's when it's going to get hit. Or when it looks injured, that's when it's going to get hit. So when I'm doing a seminar, I tell people, throw that minnow plug out there and start cranking it back. And then uh, stop it and crank it back and stop it and crank it back and stop it. I call that minnow pause. <laughs> <laughs> so when when uh, you learn to fish a bait that makes it look natural, you know, a fly fisherman will tell you, the trout fisherman, will, they match the hatch. I say go a little bit bigger, but go with that color, you know, but go bigger because right now we're battling, we're, we're fighting 10,000 shad, you know, every time we pull into yeah. a cove. So you don't want to throw people say match the hatch. You don't want to match the size. You got to upsize. Like they, you know, like you go to a fast food restaurant and they say, "Do you want to upsize?" You want to upsize because that's the meal that that big fish. If he's got to expend the same amount of energy to get to that bait, it's going to take the biggest one. The problem with that is there's if there's flaws in your presentation, it's more easily discerned. So you have to make it look like a natural presentation. And what I found is the smaller silent lures the ones that have a natural action and random action that you give it, we all fish it differently. Those are the ones that consistently catch big fish. Not to say you can't catch them on a buzz bait or a crank bait or a spinner bait, but soft plastics, jigs, tubes, worms, and stuff like that, that's gonna, that's gonna, for as long as there's fish and fishermen, that's gonna catch you a lot of fish. And you can carry a little small pocket tackle box. Let's be honest, we all know what we're gonna throw anyway. So, you know, when you leave the house, you know, if you're just if you're wading the creek and you got a little ultralight rod, you want to talk about fun, throwing a little inline spinner, throwing a little tube, throwing a little curly tail grub, you're going to catch some fish. You may not catch the biggest fish, may not catch a bunch of fish, but you're going to catch something. And you're right, uh, Bill. I, for years, I catch fish every month of the year for I think I went like 15 years without going without a month. And and I went several trips without getting skunked, which when I was guiding, I used to tell people, I said, well, here's the deal. If we go out there and I fish and we don't put a fish in the boat, your trip is free. And I said, really? I said, don't get excited. It's not going to happen. Because I said, I'm going to I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to cash my check that day. I'm going to do what I have to do to put a fish in the boat. But, you know, there's there's always ways. Uh, smaller lures and slower retrieves is almost always a way to catch something. You know, so there, there's a lot. And you'll learn a lot of this as you go. But that's our job is to teach people and reduce that learning curve and, and have them catch that fire for wanting to get out there in the outdoors and hunt, fish, uh, whatever that is that they like to do. So you can do it with a rod or a gun or a camera, whatever that is that you like and whatever 
will help you to kind of catch that fire and feel like you belong. You're in a place where you belong. That's what they that's what they need to do. I always tell people that's why there's chocolate and vanilla ice cream. Somebody says, you know, when you see a brook trout, I kind of laugh. I said, you say brook trout. I say bass bait. You know, when you catch a when you catch a four inch brookie, it's like, OK, I, I get it. But it's not for everybody. So that's why there's chocolate and vanilla ice cream. Everybody likes something different. Joey, I know we got it. We got to wrap up here fairly soon, and we could talk to you forever. I could, I could just sit and listen to you. And we we talked about a campfire and looking in that campfire earlier. I'd, I would prefer if we were sitting around the campfire and telling these stories, like, of course. But yeah. maybe we should give you a little opportunity to just, you know, preview your books. Tell tell folks how many there are, where they can get them, those kinds of things. We'll we'll include this in the show notes too. But you've written several books. Maybe you want to just give us a little sneak peek on a couple of them. Well, I'll be Tennessee and you. It's, it was interesting from my standpoint because I'd never written a book. And Bill knows I've done it. I've been in the magazine side for like 40 years. And the, and the rack magazines, as I call them, I've kind of gone by the wayside. But I still I still write blogs and do some other things. But uh, so somebody kept saying, well, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. Well, I wanted to write a book. Partly my the book title is I'll be Tennessee and you. A history, his story and some fish tales and tips. So I wanted to kind of honor my, you know, my ancestors by saying, this is how it started. They came over and this is what I got to do. And I moved to Tennessee and I found nothing but cotton and cornfields. And then I discovered a, a really neat little river and it'll bring a tear to your eye. If you read, there's a, there's a chapter called there's magic and moving water. And, uh, it, it, I'll tell you, it's so heartfelt. I can't describe it or read it without a little shedding a little bit of a tear. But and then it goes into a few fishing tips. Well, then I kind of decided after I wrote the, the first book and it was it, it did really, really well. I was actually pretty surprised. I wanted to write 60 seasons because it's a capsule version of if you want to catch crappie, bluegill, bass, walleye, crappie, whatever, that there's some transition. But there's about I think there's about 160 topics in uh, 60 seasons and it's a fishing guide dog ear the pages take a highlighter you know and you go back in and i didn't want to have something happen to me and being 72 i tell people i don't even buy green bananas anymore so i don't know that that if i'm not here in a year from now that somebody could buy that book and saying hey you know what i tried that and that really works so i didn't want to have whatever i've experienced that's you guys have got you guys are probably 10 times better fishermen than i am but i didn't want what i learned to go away with me. So I said, I want to memorialize that in the book. So 60 seasons. And then I stepped out myself uh, and you get a kick out of this. I decided I wanted to write a novel. So, you know, for a guy that's just been outdoor writer, but I, uh, in 2022, it was going to be a hundred years that my family had been in this country. So I wrote a novel called Secret of the Storms, Sente Ani, which means a hundred years. So I wrote that. It's kind of a it's about 85% accurate historically. And then it took a lot of literary license to put some no neck people in there and some really kind of rough times. And uh, it's kind of a chronicle of, of three generations. And I'm pretty proud of that book. It's done really well. And one of the things that I'm doing for the next couple of weeks and the rest of summer is that uh, I donate 10% of everything that I profit uh, to St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis. And uh, for the next, well, I did it all summer long for some, through the summer, 25% of all the profit from my books is going to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So it's a, it, it's a good read, or I think it is, or a couple of good reads and for a good cause. So uh, they're all on Amazon. Uh, they're all, I, I'm humbled by the success that I've had writing books because I, 
I haven't never done it. I wasn't sure it was going to work. I was sure I was going to do it. I just wasn't sure it was going to going to be as popular as it has been. So, you know, again, it's uh, it's it's certainly those were a labor of love. And it, it, it really was uh, an interesting experience, to say the least. I'll bet. And I, I've got to get you to sign my copy of 60 Seasons. And somehow I missed the novel until we started talking about doing this podcast. So that that's one I'm going to have to get. Um, okay, Joey, we always wrap up on, on a little bit of conservation talk. So I want to give you a chance to, to maybe hit your number one conservation topic um, or, or whatever you're most passionate about, if you could just talk about one thing. I guess at the bottom of my email, it says uh, the outdoors don't belong to us. We're just borrowing them from future generations. <clears throat> that That's really, truly what we're doing. Uh, I feel that when I release a fish, because that's where I tend to, I'll be Tennessee came from. When I would release my first fish on TV, I'd say, nobody's going to remember Joey Monteleone, but I'd say, <laughs> as it slid off, I'd say, I'll be Tennessee you. So that became very popular, and I've actually trademarked that. But, you know, the other part of that is when people say, well, why do you put those fish back? Because, you know, it might be it might be Aaron or Bill Cooksey's grandchild that catches that fish or the progeny of that fish. And I believe big fish have the genetics to make more big fish. Or somebody sees me and says, you know what? I think I'd like to do that. That looks like fun. I'd like to try that. Then I've done my job. So uh, it's the same thing with if value in the resource that I don't feel like I have to drag a deer out every time I go into the woods. And I certainly don't have to come back with a limit of fish when I do that. So we're, the outdoors don't belong to us. We're just borrowing them from future generations. That would be my conservation story. That's beautiful, Joey. I, I'm just appreciative that we get to, we got to have this conversation that you're out there doing what you're doing and you know, bringing your infectious energy. I just, I feel, I feel motivated. I feel motivated to fish and do something cool and take somebody outside. I, I mean, that's really a gift that you have that you're given to people who, who get the privilege to listen to you and, and read your book. So, so thank you for spending some time with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for what you do. I hope we do get that, uh, that moment by the campfire together sometime. That would be a privilege. So, well, truly my pleasure. I, I enjoy doing this, and you're allowing me to spread the word, which I'm very, very passionate about. You're welcome. We'll put your we'll put your books in the in the show notes as well, and any other links you want to give us. Bill, you want to want to wrap us up? Anything you want to leave our listeners with today? Uh, well, I tell you, I, I'm I'm going to kind of double down on on a theme Joey's expressed several times through here, and. Yeah, it's one I, I don't think about enough. Uh, we're all in a position so often to make an impression on people when we don't even know it. And let's all try to keep that in mind. And, and when we can make a good impression that's that maybe even in a, a tiny way changes whether it's a person's day or life, um, that's meaningful, uh, about as meaningful as anything we can do. Well said. Thank you, Joey. Thanks for spending some time with us. We'll see you next time, folks. Take care. For more great content, check out NWF Outdoors social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. Send us your ideas for podcast guests and questions in the comments. We are NWF Outdoors. 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.